1: The Winter Break Part 2. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off pitch activities that caught our eye, and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football, and this week, once again, we've got a full house. And that means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So, Carl, how have you been since we last spoke?
2: Yeah, it was really good, Dan. You know, roller coaster ride on Sunday for us, um, but we got the win and we was feeling good. You know, our t- towels were up, and then we get the news today that Human Song's out injured, which I'm sure we'll get to. And it's all downcast again, mate. But yes. other than that, tickety-tickety-boo.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, grey clouds are circling once again around Tottenham. But life is never simple when it comes to our North London loves. But anyway, we cannot forget Drew. He's strike striped partner either. So, Drew, you'll also be feeding the supply line. How have you been in the past week?
0: I'm doing all right. Hanging in there after a tough loss yesterday for Chelsea against Manchester United. But, hey, comes with the territory. It obviously means we're going to have a very exciting end to the year for the top four or five, possibly, race. So... I'm OK with it. I'm excited for the last couple of months of the season.
1: Yes, we'll get to fifth being the new fourth in a moment. And before we do, let's do the social media bits first. Otherwise, I'll be talking to the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Tracy 1983 Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And more importantly, leave a review so we move up the league table. If you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool? I hear you ask. It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where shall we go first? Well, we cannot go anywhere but the Etihad. The huge news that broke at the end of last week has sent shockwaves through football. Carl, quite simply, what is your take on the initial fallout?
2: It's really interesting this one, isn't it, Dan? Um, I guess the trouble is you kind of got, kind, you know... You kind of had this moral, yes, you know, the right thing has been done kind of thing. You know, yet those who are not following the rules and breaking this FFP need to be punished. And and what a way to do it. You know, banning a club like City from the UEFA Champions League is definitely hitting a club hard where it hurts. But then you kind of sit there and think, will this actually be followed through? You know, will, will this ban actually stick? Will it, you know, will, will, will we drop down to fifth base, potentially, you know, taking a Champions League spot? Is there ramifications that City could lose a title um, beforehand? But you then kind of think the trouble is, does money talk enough where if City can throw enough lawyers at it? And I'm sure they've got a bus full ready to make the, you know, drive up to the UEFA headquarters and put their case forward. Are we just sitting something here where this is going to get, you know, suspended? Time will go. And then the next thing you know, it's been overturned and nothing changes. But if this actually follows through, this will open up and become such an interesting story. And the fallout, I don't think anyone can really predict the the amount of fallout that could come from it if this goes through.
1: I mean, of course, this is all pending many appeals, which will happen. So I think for the next half an hour, we're going to do lots of ifs and buts scenarios. So nothing is set in stone. But let's play devil's advocate and try and answer some questions anyway. So, Drew, when we talk of the seismic shock, that two-year ban has the potential to seriously derail the Man City project. However, as Carl was alluded to, that legal team will hit this head on. So do you think they'll be fully absolved or will there be a reduction of sentence once it's all said and done?
0: I mean, that was my first thought when I initially saw this last week was Manchester City are going to appeal and the punishments will be reduced. Because the Court of Arbitration for Sport almost always does that. And so I don't really see Manchester City missing two years. Honestly, I don't see them missing one game in the Champions League. I think next year they're going to be back in it. Whether their case is still under appeal or not and it's been reversed, I don't think Manchester City misses one moment of the Champions League. I do think that, as kind of Carl talked about, UEFA coming down hard on Manchester City they obviously are trying to send a message, but I think it also then creates a problem because you're going to push teams like Manchester City, possibly PSG, and others away from the Champions League and really add fuel to the fire for creating the Super League in Europe. So I think for UEFA, they're really walking a fine line here. Again, ultimately, I don't think they they ban City. Maybe they get some transfer restrictions, maybe match day squad restrictions. Maybe they... You know won't be able to keep gate revenue or, or something like that for a season or two, but I don't think they're going to actually miss games and CAS is going to take it down much lower on on the totem pole and make it much less restrictive for city that's what I think is going to happen.
1: Yeah, it's an incredibly good point you raise in the sense that Man City will look at this and think, OK, well, if you push us too much, we'll just get together with our cabal of fellow owners and chairmen and we'll start to advise our own competition, which has been mooted for many years now. So it's a case of, you know, don't poke us too much because we can quite easily go elsewhere. swear if push comes to shove. However, Carl, if the punishment is upheld, the likes of Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne will undoubtedly be questioning their futures. There's been supposedly some behind-the-scenes meetings already, trying to get players on the same page, but... With that as well, do you think they've been having a word with their agents and just saying, you know, maybe just have a, a quick chat with some other clubs, monitor the situation, because you never know how this might pan out?
2: I guess if you're sensible, don't you? And you're looking after your own career. I think like any of us would with our jobs, you know, you would start to kind of look look beyond the horizon and say, well, OK, what, what can I do if this does happen? Because, yeah, you know... I, I want to be playing at the top level of football. And, you know, maybe one season out of the Champions League, you could possibly go, okay. I'll I'll swallow that. Um, But two seasons, I think then you do question whether there will be players thinking, well, hold on. You know, that might be the thing that pushes me out because I don't really want to be out of this for two years. You know, some of those players will feel, you know, Their their value might drop, you know, if they're not being seen on the top stage in world football. Um, And then, like, as we've said before, you know, one of the problems City probably has is certain points players may feel, well, I've probably won as much as I can win here. Maybe I do go and sample something new now. And the fact that this has come along might be the right time for me to do that. So, you certainly don't think that the likes of those players will be sitting there just going, no, well, okay, we'll we'll take the two years, not a problem. They're shrewd. Their agents are shrewd. They'll definitely be putting the feelers out if this is upheld and, you know, the ban is in place. The the feelers will definitely go out to those top clubs in Europe, you know, the Barcelonas, the Real Madrid. They will certainly be pricking their ears up and thinking, well, there's some prime players here for the picking um, and we just need to put the right package together.
1: And Drew, of course, the Champions League returns over the next couple of days. How much of a mockery will be made of the competition if City finally get over the line this season and then abandon the next?
0: Well, Manchester City fans already don't care about the Champions League. They boo and whistle the anthem. They despise the competition. They feel as if UEFA has persecuted them, essentially, over the past few seasons. Because, I mean, right now... This ban is essentially double jeopardy because, remember, they were already fined for financial play uh, financial fair play breaches a couple seasons ago. So I think when the last 16 comes around at the Etihad and if they advance past Real Madrid, you're going to continue to see fans. And I think it's going to get way worse. The howls, the jeers, the whistles for the Champions League. If they announce any UEFA dignitaries are there, Manchester City fans are going to absolutely roast these people as much as they can. And I do understand it from their perspective. It seems as if they're almost getting bullied, getting pushed around by UEFA. Season after season, UEFA is trying to pin them for something. So I understand the fans' frustrations. And again, the club itself, they want the Champions League, but the fans don't. And so I think you're going to see that disconnect between the club and the fans grow even wider And I could see maybe not an an empty stadium for a Champions League match because, again, against Real Madrid, it's hard to pass up that opportunity if you're a fan to go watch. However, I could definitely see fans starting to protest a little bit more, not their club, but UEFA, and maybe trying to influence their club to try and leave and have City start that Super League. I could really see fans turning towards that direction.
1: Well, you've only got to look at the uh, beginning of the game or just before it. The Champions League anthem, that's going to get absolutely booed out of the ground, isn't it, Carl?
2: Yeah, I, you know, it would be interesting won't it. Well, I'm sure we'll see all the videos of that when it happens. Um And as you say, that they were they were against it in the first place, weren't they? So I think that first game that they have, you know, with that Champions League music trying to boom out, um, whoever's playing that music better put the volume all the way up. <laughs> Because I tell you now, that is the boos that are going to be ringing out at the Etihad that night are going to be their top level. So, yeah, they'll certainly show their their disgruntledness um, just before kick-off, that's for sure. Well, you say that, actually.
1: I mean, if the person who's in control of the volume, if he's disgruntled as well, he might purposely make it even lower, <laughs> mightn't he, and just say, look, you w- know... W- wouldn't that be interesting? No
2: Champions League music before the game, that would send a message, wouldn't it?
1: Well, do you know <laughs> Someone
2: what? might be getting sacked in the morning. Yeah, though, that, that's reckon, true. That but
1: one. But I wonder... It would th- be
0: worth it. It would be worth it.
1: It would be worth it. But I wonder if UEFA have sort of tried to see its head on and think, actually, maybe we go against protocol and just don't play the, the anthem, because that is going to get absolutely... As much as you can tear music apart, but that's not going to go down well, is it? That's going to be the ultimate lead balloon. Another lead balloon might be the fact that if City win the Champions League and they're banned, Drew, that they can't then compete at the European Super Cups. So then, what happens then next season?
0: That is something that I have been thinking about because I would love to see that happen. Because obviously they earn their spot in that you know one game curtain raiser, so to speak. But if they're banned, then theoretically they shouldn't be able to play. And so then, do you really give it to? you know, the semifinalist that lost to them, so to speak, whoever that may be. I think you're really getting into a gray area here. I'm sure UEFA already has contingency plans and has, and has thought of this, and they have some way to figure it out. But obviously, as fans, I, I think that's an interesting question, is who should they play? I mean, UEFA right now obviously wants to show that they have the power. This is a power move, what they're doing, and that they're in charge. And... The same thing, as you asked Carl about the Champions League anthem, I think they're going to play it, and probably even louder than normal, in another power move. And I think they're going to try and do that every step of the way until this appeal from CAS is is finished. So for UEFA and Manchester City, you know, come next summer, if they win it, which would be hilarious and great to see, I would want to see them compete at least in the UEFA Super Cup but I don't think that uh, the Confederation is going to allow that. They're going to have to put somebody else in there because they're going to try and show it as a power move.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there'll be some form of hosting of the, the game. But whether it's the losing finalist or the two Europa League finals, there'll be some workaround. But I can't see Man City taking part. And, Carl, without becoming, I guess, a conspiracy theorist... If you're in the UEFA offices over the next couple of days, you're banking on Real Madrid to get something over Man City because the last thing you want is City to progress into the quarterfinals, don't you?
2: Yeah, I think now, as you say, you know, it, you'll be sitting there every game hoping that, you know, the opposition pull it out and get one over because, as you say, it, it would just be a complete farce, wouldn't it, if City do win it and then suddenly end up being banned. And then, obviously, although we're talking about the Super Cup, what then happens with the World Club Championship.
1: Oh, yeah, good shout. Yeah, yeah you right, City exactly. would win
2: that. And then, you know, what, what happens then? You know, who do you, send, who do you send to that game as well? So, like as you say, I think, you know, in the UEFA head office, the squeaky clean UEFA head office, we might add. I'm sure they're all sitting there possibly, um, you know, praying that Real Madrid suddenly find their form, turn it on, and Ramos brings out the shithouse of shithouse performances to uh, make sure Madrid get over the line.
1: Yeah, I mean, if anyone from UEFA's legal team is listening today, we'd like to just be completely clear that we're not actually um, suggesting anything untoward, just so we get that out. No, happen. of <laughs> no, course not. Absolutely. We have the
0: utmost respect for UEFA and their squeaky clean record. That's right. a and Tracy.
1: Yeah, my legal team would be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Your legal
0: team paid for by Manchester City.
1: That's right. So, talking to Manchester City... And their manager, Pep Guardiola, we've referenced before about Champions League being the ultimate objective. And if he doesn't reach that, then there'll be not necessarily a kicking out the back door, but some mutual offering of out the front door and out you go. Does this change the, the landscape for him slightly? He's referenced that regardless of what happens, he'll be at the club. If anything, City perhaps need him more. So does this sort of change the balance of power in terms of the managerial stance for Pep?
0: I honestly believe no matter what happens, Pep leaves after this season. And I don't know if, if you guys are too familiar with college sports over here in the U.S., but the NCAA is kind of the overarching body. And every time they're going to lay the hammer down on a school for infractions or breaches, like UEFA did to City, the head football coach, which is you know the biggest sport in, in college sports, always leaves. He goes to the NFL, he goes to another school, and he does not have to deal with the sanctions and the repercussions at the school for previous cheating. And I think that exact same thing is going to happen here with Pep. He's going to bolt. He's going to leave Manchester City. And essentially, it's not on his conscience anymore. He doesn't have to worry about it. He doesn't have to feel uh, uh, concerned about, about any punishments of, of anything. And so I think no matter what happens here, Pep leaves. He can say in the media, I'm staying, I'm committed. And those are the right things to say to the public. I don't believe him one bit. I think... He is trying to leave after the season. Whether Man City win the Champions League or not, and whether they're banned for the next two years or not, Pep's out the door.
1: And Carl, Pep has mentioned himself that he'll be with City whatever league they're in. That's a key phrase, I think. And whether they get to League 2, which some have suggested, I think would be a bit of a farce. However... There is a sense that the Premier League are sort of sniffing around this and waiting to hand out their own punishments. Do they do that after UEFA have settled theirs and then take that as a lead to what they do thereafter?
2: Yeah, I think so. It's always easier to be the second in line, isn't it? You know, you don't want to be the first that pushes this through. But I think if UEFA obviously lays some real hard punishment down, then I think you'll find the FA... Or the Premier League will find it easier to then go in and almost like put the boot in a second time, um, and it's a little bit easier to do it given everyone's already got you know a bad view on Man City from the first for the first punishment. So I just think they're waiting to see what happens, you know, see how good the the lawyer team is, uh, which you can assume given the money involved will be pretty pretty good. You know, I remember the last time I remember something like this was when Alan Sugar. Went to court and basically overturned Spurs being banned from the FA Cup and a 12 point deduction that time. And he kind of took the FA and, and rinsed them almost. So I think they'd be, you know, they, they wouldn't want to get burnt twice. Um, and you can assume City will have just as good of lawyers as what Alan Sugar did at that point. So I think they're just waiting. And, and if the ban and punishment gets handed down, then I think they open up and go, well, we'll have a go now as well.
1: And Joe, when we mentioned lawyers, obviously they're ready to take to the highest possible level. So if it's not CATS, it would be, you know, the Swiss highest court and then the European Commission or whatever. So, you know, there's, this is going to run and run. There's no doubt about that. If it does run and run, do City then enter the next season of the Champions League with an asterisk to their name? Is it like a pending? Like, how on earth does this unfold in such a tight time frame?
0: For me, the answer is no. And that it includes, you know, any previous trophies that are, quote, tainted. Uh, according to some people, or should carry an asterisk. For me, Manchester City here, yes, they broke the rules in terms of sub- uh, submitting fraudulent financial documents, and for that, they should be punished. Sporting-wise, in terms of buying players, in terms of putting out a competitive team in every competition and winning, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. And so for me, if they go into Champions League next season, even with a kind of you know pending asterisk next to their name i still have no problem with that i don't see anything immoral or against the game or compromising the integrity of football in any way with what city did and so for me if they do go into next season and we're still not sure i don't have a problem well i have a problem with it in terms of i want to know what's what the outcome is going to be but sporting wise i don't think manchester city players and coaches especially should feel any remorse or like they did any wrongdoing in this because I don't think they're to blame whatsoever. They got a contract offer. They signed it. They joined a team. They played together. They won. And for the players and coaches, that's not really their fault.
1: And, Carl, if fifth is the new fourth, the landscape has opened up massively, and that's going to give a boost to a whole fleet of clubs. I mean, not just Tottenham or Sheffield United. I'm talking about Everton. Dare I say, than Arsenal. All of a sudden, you've got a gap from fourth to 11th, which is six points, and everyone in that bracket... Is going to think, actually,
2: we're in the mix now. Yeah, I was looking at the league table just before this call, Dan, and as you say, if you look at it realistically, I think you go down to 10th, don't you, which is Arsenal at the moment, and then underneath them you've got Burnley, who, you know, I know this sounds disrespectful to Burnley, and it's not meant to be, but you can't see them putting a run enough together to possibly kind of get up to fifth. But teams like Arsenal, Wolves, um, you know, those sorts of sides now, and Everton especially, will really think, well, hang on, the door is open here now. You know, what possibly looked like a closed shot um, is now one where we go, we put a decent run together uh, with everyone else dropping points, and we're right up there in that fifth fifth place, you know, and in the mix, if this punishment does come through and the place drops to fifth, we're then in. Um, It might be via the back door, but we're in. Um, So, as you say, this really opens the table up. And, you know, there'll be a lot of teams that might have just been sitting there thinking we're possibly just seeing the season out. And some may even have been sitting there thinking, you know what, do we really want Europa League football? You know, could we be better off missing out on those places? But now, if you think fifth can get you, you know, a Champions League place possibly, then you're going to go for it because it's all there. It's all open. Um, all those teams could go on a run and kind of string enough results together to get themselves up there. So this really does put some real interest now in the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, you can only see, you know, the likes of Sheffield United really licking their lips. I know we was talking about it last week, but there is a real realistic chance now that if this was to happen, Sheffield United could get a place in the Champions League.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just gets more and more bizarre for Sheffield United. But, Drew, in terms of the league table, Carl's just alluded to it. I think you can look at it now. Fourth to tenth is this European battle over two competitions. Burnley seems to be the only sort of team not really involved in anything. And then from twelfth to twentieth, you've got a relegation battle. So, I mean, the drama is going to go on and on here. It's not done by any stretch. Even though we've got no title race, it's game on for the final third, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even... You know, the Champions League spots, I think it's more than just fourth place up for grabs. Leicester City are on a second-half slide. And yes, they do have a big gap between them and fourth place Chelsea. But you could see that really closing if Leicester continue to lose and drop points. And then some of these other uh, clubs that that you and Carl alluded to already win. You could see third place opening up. If Manchester City is really going to tank on the league and just put everything into the Champions League for this season you could see them start to lose a few more games as well. And so, honestly, I think all the places, other than Liverpool's, of course, is up for grabs right now for Champions League and then, of course, Europa League. And so that's wide open. And the same thing at the bottom. I think Norwich is probably locked in for relegation, but the other two spots are wide open right now. And so I think any part of the Premier League that you're watching, club at the top of the table, mid-table, or bottom table... You have something really to look forward to over the last couple months of the season. You have important games. Because even for the mid-table teams, they could move up or down very quickly with a win or two. And so I think every single fan, regardless of the club you support, should be jacked and excited for the end of the season. Because it's going to be amazing to see what really happens from week to week and who's winning, who's losing, and who's able to hold their nerve.
1: And, Carl, Drew just mentioned Leicester, and he raises a good point, actually. In a sense, have they almost done too much too early? And it's a case of what are they aiming for now? Like, they're sort of, they're almost guaranteed top four football, but now you get the sense that they've slightly taken the foot off the pedal somewhat. And will that cost them further down the line? How do they find their impetus again in this final third of the season?
2: Yeah, I guess that is the hard one, isn't it, for Brendan Rodgers to try and find? You know, we we always kind of thought there might be a slight dip in what they can do. And obviously, you know, if Jamie Vardy, will, will he be able to keep scoring at the rate he was or will he drop off? And, and we're kind of seeing that now, aren't we? There is just been a drop off in performances. Um, I'd like, you know, you'd like to think under Brendan Rodgers, he'll keep them going enough and, and he'll, he'll be able to keep them motivated enough that they put, the, they put the pressure on as much as they can. As you say, it is dangerous, though, to sit there and think you've already got top four football because, as Drew said, you know, it, it could only take two or three bad results from them and two or three good results from the others, you know, Chelsea, Spurs, United around them. And all of a sudden, everyone's fighting for the third position, third and second. So, I think Leicester will have to try and use something and, you know, I just hope that they can get the momentum going back again. But I guess this was the other question around them, wasn't it? That the first 11 looks great on paper, but if some of those drop off, have they got the squad to be able to cope and put a real run together? It was the reason we possibly said they couldn't give Liverpool a real title chase in the end because they just wouldn't have it about them in the squad. Um, but they just need to hope that they get them, you know, they get it going and they can see it over the line. I think Leicester will. I think they'll get enough points probably, especially at home, that they'll see it over the line. And I, I think they'll probably come second in the end. But like as Drew said, I think third and fourth and below that is, is anyone's game right now. And no one could predict it.
1: Talking of anyone's game, it's time for loser pool. We're back. So obviously that's split game week. It's time to recap what happened. And Cole's back in the winning groove. He picked the rather safe pick of Norwich to lose at home to Liverpool. So he's on 22 points. Drew is with a game in hand. He's four points back. But West Ham go to Man City tomorrow night. It's Tuesday when we record. So he's waiting for his one to come in. And I picked Villa to lose at home to Tottenham. So we're all um, successful, bar Drew who's waiting on his one. So the table is 22 for Cole, 18 with an asterisk for Drew and 12 for me. And this week, I'm going to go first to boost my own title hope. So I'm going to go for West Ham to lose away at Liverpool on Monday night. And Cole, you're up next. What's your pick for the loser, pool round this coming up?
2: Uh, I'm going to go Watford for me, Dan. I don't think, you know, they're, they're travelling to Old Trafford. Um, And for me, I don't see them getting anything out of that game at all. Uh, I think, you know, especially after that win, you know, yesterday for United at Stamford Bridge. So I see United turning Watford over. Okay, Andrew, what about yourself,
0: mate? I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to go with Everton losing at the Emirates to Arsenal. I like the way Arsenal played this weekend. And I'm thinking they're going to be able to put it together for a second weekend in a row. So Everton. Guaranteed losers at the Gunners.
1: Okay, let's just quickly recap. So, I'm going to go for West Ham to lose away at Liverpool Monday night. Carl's gone for Watford to lose away at Manchester United on Sunday. And two hours later, Drew has gone for Everton to lose away at Arsenal. They are our loser pool picks. The bills have been paid. And on the second half of this show, we're going to discuss all the Premier League action which has happened over the past few days. So, don't go anywhere. Your accumulator letting you down again you've cashed out early and you just can't win prehistoric football coupons nah have a think about it why not play a new way at Loserpool, pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament be a loser and win at Loserpool. enter for free now visit Loserpool.com. Right, welcome back. There's lots to get through, so let's not hang about. And Drew, you'll be the best place person to analyse Chelsea versus Manchester United last night. A win for Manchester United, which has also blown proceedings wide open. Not just Man City and their legal woes. So for you, Drew, where did it go wrong for the Blues last night?
0: Well, the easiest place to start is, of course, with VAR. As two Chelsea goals were ruled out, in my opinion one of them definitely incorrectly the other one maybe on the fence and and we'll get to that in a second uh but regardless of VAR hurting Chelsea they shot themselves in the foot in this game and they didn't deserve to win finishing once again was terrible as Mishi Batshuayi played in place of injured Tammy Abraham Batshuayi was off the mark the entire match Mason Mount hit the hit the post with a free kick Chelsea could not finish one shot on target out of 17 total shots they didn't deserve to win this match. And so a lot of Chelsea fans, I think, in the past you know, 24 hours or so have been screaming about VAR after the second goal was ruled out. A lot of Stamford Bridge, the fans, cleared out right after. More, I think, frustration with VAR than, than Chelsea. Um, but this was a bad match for Chelsea, I think. And now with letting all the other top four challengers back into the race, I think Chelsea are actually on the outside looking in. I think this was a very bad loss for them. I think they've had too many problems that have reared its ugly head time and time again. And so for the Blues right now, they didn't deserve this match. They didn't deserve any points. And I think they should have the alarm bells ringing right now for the end of the season.
1: Carl, we made reference to Chelsea dropping Keppa a few weeks ago. You'd have to say it seems more and more baffling decision especially when you consider that Caballero is nothing more than a perennial reserve goalkeeper. So, obviously, Kepper hasn't been great. He's not been worth the world record fee that was commanded for him. But surely he's still Chelsea's number one pick between the sticks.
2: Well, you would think out of the two, Dan, he is the number one, quite rightly. Um, but it's quite clear something's gone on there where Frank Lampard now, by looks of it, is is going to just, you know, stick to his guns and say, I'm sorry, I'm not having this. Um, And and I'm now going to make an example of you. Um, And and he said before the game, didn't he, that he's made his choice um, and he knows what he's doing. And I think the reporter asked him, so will we see Kepa starting goal tonight? And he just said, you'll have to wait and see. Um, He doesn't start. And you kind of get the impression that Frank has made his mind up, that whatever's gone on there in the background, he's not happy and and he's not going to change his mind lightly. So, I can only honestly see that, you know, in the summer, Chelsea are going to have to make a change at number one. You can see Kepa leave him and Chelsea are on the lookout for a new number one goalkeeper um, because it just doesn't look happy there because you rightly say, if you give me the choice of the two, I'm sticking Kepa in all day long, even if he has messed me about a little bit. If you're looking for points and moving up the league, he is surely better than um, Caballero.
1: And, Joe, if we assume that Kepa is shipped in the summer... For you, does he go down as a big bust in terms of Chelsea's transfer
0: policy? Oh, yeah. One of the biggest busts of all time, especially with the fee that they paid for him. I mean, I think Lampard right now is digging in his heels with this Kepa situation. And honestly, I think he's doing it because he's Frank Lampard. He has that cachet with the club where he doesn't have to worry about getting fired. You know, if this was Maurizio Sarri benching Kepa, if this was... Antonio Conte, now Kepa wasn't at the club at the time, but imagine they had brought in a world record goalkeeper. I don't think Antonio Conte would have benched him either. And so I think Lampard is kind of taking advantage of his club legend status, and he's really going to hold his ground on this. Now, right now, I would say it hasn't hurt the team. It hasn't been a detriment because I don't know if Kepa saves any of the goals that Caballero has allowed so far I don't think that Caballero necessarily makes Chelsea that much better than if there was Keppa and the reverse as well. So I think Lampard is really trying to make a point here to the board, saying, I don't want Keppa. I want someone else in the summer. And to me, I think that's a very fine line he's got to walk between, you know, possibly keeping the club from qualifying for the Champions League because he's not putting his best keeper out there and best squad versus getting his way with the board. I think he's really got to walk that tightrope very, very cautiously over the next couple of months. And it's clear now, like Carl said, Caballero's going to be the keeper. And so Chelsea have to deal with that for both or for all competitions that they're still in. And I think right now, that's not really the the biggest of their worries, but it certainly doesn't help.
1: And Jay, I'll stay with you. The game itself could certainly have been different if Harry Maguire was shown a red card for his touchline stamp or prod or whatever you want to call it so the first point of contact when he's falling backwards you think okay that's fair enough there's not much he could do but then there's that second involuntary sort of forced movement that's where the questions have to be asked so for you should he have got his marching orders
0: oh yeah straight red card right away and i said that before it even went to var before there were any replays because i was able to see it live during the match i'm sure you know some people in the stadium couldn't quite see it But yeah, Harry Maguire should have gotten sent off. And yes, there is the precedent from, I believe it was Son uh, a month ago or so, against Chelsea as well, actually, um, who, who did something very similar by kicking out when he was already on the ground at a Chelsea player. And if that's the precedent set by VAR earlier in the season, then right now, that precedent should also be followed for VAR. So I think Maguire should have gotten sent off and Of course, him being on the pitch still in the second half, he heads in that goal. Without him, that doesn't happen. Again, though, yes, I do believe he should have been sent off. And as a Chelsea fan, I was very upset to see him still on the pitch. To me, though, that's not the reason Chelsea lost. Chelsea still couldn't finish. Set pieces, they allowed the goal to Maguire, right? Set pieces have been an issue for Chelsea. And so no matter how many problems VAR had in the match... I don't blame VAR. I blame a poor Chelsea performance uh, in attack defensively. Substitutions, that didn't make any difference, although some of them were early on due to injuries. Um, But I don't think Chelsea had had a great game. And so, yes, VAR substantially hurt them in this match, but it's not the ultimate reason they lost and dropped points.
1: Okay, let's focus on the two key VAR issues. Carl, you can have the first one. So the first one was a disallowed goal which saw Fred. First, push Aspilaqueta and then he pushed Brandon Williams. So, was that first push from Fred enough to then sort of nudge Aspilaqueta on and then he had to put his arms out to do what he did, or was it just an out and out infringement?
2: No, I think when you look at it, you kind of do question why the VAR officials haven't seen that, you know, Aspilaqueta, you know, don't get me wrong, I don't like the bloke, <laughs> um, but, you know, he was pushed in the back and it's that push and the momentum that takes him into the Man United player. So, you know, the one push should rule out the other push, really, and VAR should be able to spot that because I have to say, I didn't need looking at it three or four times. Within the first view from behind the goal, you can clearly see the push and a spill equator, and then see that that then you know, makes him and forces him into the back of a United player. So, for me, if I'm looking at VAR and at making that call, I'm saying, well, he doesn't push him unless he's pushed in the back. So, I'm giving that goal because I'm going to say there is an infringement, first of all, on Equator. So, you know, maybe you could have given a penalty. Um, but I would have allowed the goal to stand given what happened because I would say, no, that push on the United player only comes because he is pushed into him. And I do think Chelsea were harshly done by there. So, let's shoot; it's 1-0 at that stage.
1: Drew, you get the second one one that saw Giroud's goal ruled out, I guess under the letter of the law, it was tight but correct. So really, what else can you do about it?
0: Well, that's the thing is, yes, by the letter of the law, he was offside, right? About half his boot was ahead of the last defender. And so by that, yes, he's offside. Here's why I disagree with it, though, kind of thinking through the the action is no Manchester United players put their hands up for offside. No one looked at the uh, at the assistant referee for a flag. And so to me, that almost seems like Manchester United no, you know what, we blew it, we messed up. Giroud scored. I guess we now only have a one-goal lead. You could see on their faces that was the expression. And so that's why, to me, it's kind of absurd that they ruled them offside because no players on either squad really protested and called for it. Both sides kind of accepted that it was a goal only for VAR to to come back and disallow it. And so that's why, again, when it comes to VAR, for me, I think VAR shouldn't be refereeing every decision. It should be re-refereeing the referee's decision. So since they didn't call it offside, I don't think it should be. No one complained. It should have been offside. To me, that was a fair and square goal. But as we've alluded to so many times on today's show – he did break the rules, so I understand the punishment, right? And, and unfortunately, that was a second goal that was taken away, a third VAR incident, and that was the one that really just sent Chelsea fans over the wall and caused everyone to walk out.
1: That video nasty was ultimately a defeat for Chelsea, and of course, with Tottenham's win the day before, it means the gap between the two teams going to Saturday's clash is just a point. However, Cole, Chelsea fans will be smiling because Xun min Song has fractured his arm and won't be available. So just when you allow yourself some hope as a Spurs fan... It comes crashing down once again, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, that's right. You know, you, you kind of shut the door to the roof for a day and think, oh, OK, you know, I can I can cope today. And then all of a sudden we always get this news that seems to send us into meltdown, don't we? Um, that is a massive blow, though, because obviously, you know, the Kane injury was a big one. Um but then you're thinking, well, OK, if Sonny can step up and fill those boots that came, you know, quite rightly does one of the best jobs in the world at, we should be OK. But now if you lose Son, uh, then you do start to question where the goals will come from. Because, you know, yes, you've got Mora, Yes, you've got Ali. Ali. But they've only scored three in their last kind of like ten or so Premier League games, so they're not prolific. They're not having their best seasons. So now I think we really do have a worry as to like, well, actually, do we have enough goal threat that could see us through for the remainder of the season? Because obviously Kane, I don't think we'll see him back to a couple of games to go, which everything by that point could be all done and sewn up, and you're just seeing games out. Um, but this someone, this is a one that's a real blow and and should, in theory, give those chasing pack a, a little bit of joy because, you know, we really could suffer from this one because I don't think we have the backup now for some that, you know, you see many goals coming from all those areas. You know, you've then got to start thinking now, are you going to have to throw someone like Parrot in um, who's untested young player, hasn't really got the experience and see if he can kind of step up to the plate? That's a lot to ask of a player of his age and experience. And like I say, Ali's not having a season where you can see him suddenly turn into this prolific number nine uh, and score your goals that take you into the top four. And the same can be said for Mora. So that this was really bad news today for us.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're trying to think of options, and these are sort of really not even realistic ones. But you go with Bergvine as the furthest forward, Lamela out wide. This is sort of switch there. I guess if you are in winning situations, is that then the time to feed Parrot the minutes that he needs? Because I think if you try and throw him in from the start, he might look a bit lost. But if you are somehow two, two up, three and up in a game, you think right, Parrot, go and have thirty minutes, build up your confidence. Then you never know, you might get some rewards further down the line, Carl.
2: I think the I think the obvious choice that, he, uh, that I think Jose will go with first of all is sticking more up top. I think that will be the first, you know. Formation and player that will play in that position. I think he'll put maybe Lamella out wide with Amora playing as that kind of striker. But the problem is, can he do it? You know, he's never really looked comfortable in that role. And I say, I don't suddenly see him becoming that prolific that you're thinking he'll definitely score us the goals. But that's how I think he'll start. And like as you say, Dan, you may have to pick and choose your moments where you do give, you know, young Troy Parrott some minutes on the pitch. And, you know, if he started to score coming off the bench then you might you know, think, well, there's some confidence there. Now, I'll give him a start in the game. Um, but it's a real difficult one um, and a problem that, you know, with hindsight being a great thing, you do think, should the club have looked at this in January, thinking, well, hold on a minute, should we pick up another injury? We really do need a backup. I think it's quite funny today, Joe say, I think, was quoted in a press conference as seeing if Peter Crouch is still around um, and if he could get him out of retirement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great pick.
1: Well, it wouldn't be the worst one. I, mean, I don't think there's many options. I know Nicholas Benton's available <laughs> on a free as well, so if we're that desperate. Oh, <laughs> but um, in terms of Deli Alley, Drew, some people have mentioned in the past that he could be used as the most focal point of the attack, and I mean that as the most furthest forward striker. Yes, he's not pulled up many trees this season, and yes, we are really clutching at straws, but could you see him actually fulfil that role in this final third of the season?
0: I don't think he could play as a false nine anywhere like Roberto Firmino could. Because, I mean, that's essentially what Mourinho would be asking him to do. I understand kind of the idea behind it, but I don't think that's the right move. I think it's better if you put someone like Bergwijn up there. Uh, Obviously, I, I agree with you guys. I think Lucas Moura is first choice now to be the striker, even in front of Troy Parrott, who, I mean, how old is he still? What, 18, I think, or 19? He's still pretty young, so I don't think – and even watching him play, the few appearances he's had, he, he's not ready for it. Um, but no, I would not put Deli Alley up there. I mean for for a guy who's for the most part kind of revived his career, so to speak, in the past couple uh, past couple months under Mourinho, I don't think now is the time to change that. I think if Deli Alley's on a good run, which he has been for the most part, leave him in his spot. Let him continue – To play where he's been playing. Let him continue to kind of improve uh, match by match. And so I wouldn't move him because I think you're getting him back to his best. Don't mess with that. Let that continue and find another replacement up front and have one guy out of position as opposed to now having Delhi Ali out of position and then whoever has to take over his spot as well. Now you have two people kind of not at their best. And so I would not put Delhi Ali as a false nine leading the line. Uh, in any competition for Spurs right now.
1: I think that's a fair shout. I'll stay with you, Drew. So when you consider Son, he fractured his arm during the game, completed the game, scored two goals. I think, if anything, that just highlights how much Tottenham are going to miss him over these next few weeks.
0: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, every year that Harry Kane gets hurt, who steps up and scores in his absence? It's always Hyung min san And I may be a Chelsea fan, but Hyung min san is one of my favourite players. I truly think he's one of the most underrated players in the entire world, he's had better assist and goal-scoring rates than Christian Eriksson. He's right next to Harry Kane, only slightly below him in terms of goals and assists per 90 uh, for in his first career, that is. And I think he, he's never put in the conversation for world-class, but he should be. He can play out wide. He can play as a striker. And then you see in this match, he plays through the pain, gets the winner late on uh, in stoppage time, and... I think you're right, Spurs are going to miss him dearly because they don't have another option. Son has been that backup striker role, and now that he's hurt, Spurs find themselves in quite a predicament, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jose kind of reshuffles um, because without Son, I mean, th- you know, this is a huge loss, and especially right at a critical time, going back into the Champions League knockouts, coming up against Chelsea soon. I think Spurs are really, really going to miss Son because of how much he does on and off the ball when he's on the pitch.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a massive blow. I think, unfortunately, that's going to be the one that knocks our season out of kilter, to be honest. I think, you know, Son is our backup striker for all intents and purposes. I know we didn't directly buy one in January, but when you sort of look at the way that he fulfills that, that void when Kane's not playing, that he is really our number two forward, even though he plays most games also. Without him and Kane, you really do worry about the goals. And also, you go into games like Chelsea, you think, how are we going to break down a team of that nature? So it's not going to be easy. It never is. But at least we won on Sunday. And, Carl, we referenced the Villa-Spurs game in some detail last night on our Coming News Spurs podcast. So let's focus on Villa in a li- little bit more detail. They have the worst defence in the league. That's not just my opinion. That's mathematical fact. They've conceded 50 goals this season. That's just shy <laughs> of two a game. And that's the kind of stat that really points to relegation, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, you know, they'll be disappointed won't they at the weekend because they they probably should have got something out of that game. You know, when you look at the way it started, if they go two up, then does that game pan out differently? Um, but that is again comes down to taking your chances, which they're not doing as well as they should do. And we know in the Premier League, if you don't have a recognised goal scorer who can bang them in regularly, you are in trouble. Um, they've got one of the best midfielders in the league at the moment in Grealish, but that's not enough. The, you know, the third goal kind of shows you the problems they're having all season, doesn't it? That should be dealt with. It's bread and butter. The guy obviously loses his con. Concentration takes his eye off the ball, and next thing you know, the game's gone. You've lost, and that could be a vital point, or even probably should have been looking at close to three points from that game. The way they played, it's okay saying they're playing with spirit, but at some point, you've got to turn that spirit into points. Villa just not doing it, and that's why I do, you know, see that the likelihood could be that they may fall into that bottom three, and it could cost them massively.
1: And Drew Pepe Rayner, he gave another good account of himself on Sunday. But ultimately, you know, the men in front of you let you down. What else could you do as a goalkeeper? Perfect example being the penalty that he saved. And then the rest of the defence were just sort of watching him save the ball. It's like, actually, oh, I need to, need to react. The next thing you know, it's gone in. So he's giving a good showing, but ultimately let, him, let down by the, the front five in front of him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that points to their poor defensive record. It, it's emblematic of that. You know, without Tyrone Mings, they're essentially reactive, as defenders and, and like Carl talked about with the third goal right when angles just completely misses it you see these are their defensive issues and Pepe Reina no matter how great of a keeper is no matter how many more fantastic saves he makes like he did throughout the match not just Son's penalty but he had a couple other good ones in there as well he's gonna have a really tough time of it unfortunately because Aston Villa's defense does not stop anyone And that's going to be their biggest issue. They do score a ton of goals, right? They score enough to possibly keep them in the league. But their defensive record is so bad. They're so reactionary with their defenders. They're not proactive. And that's going to be um, their downfall, I think. You know, for a long time, I was holding out for Aston Villa, thinking they're going to be able to survive this season. And bringing in Pepe Reina and the performances he put in, you would think, you know what, he's going to help them do that. But watching all the guys in front of him, it almost seems cruel and unusual punishment to put Pepe Reina in this situation because of how good he's played for them in a few matches, how good he's been throughout his career. And Aston Villa right now are a sinking ship that he has unfortunately joined and is going to have to endure for the next couple months.
1: OK, let's go to Tottenham's North London rivals now. And Cole, grudgingly, you'd have to say that Arsenal certainly turned it on in the second half against Newcastle. They look revitalised after their winter break. But Everton will provide a much sterner test this coming weekend.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, Newcastle did OK in the first half, didn't they? But there was never any real threat. And you kind of just thought it might be a matter of time. Um, you didn't think Arsenal, you thought always thought Arsenal could play a bit better um, at the two sides. And it turned out to be after half time they come out, they did that exactly. And fair play to them. You know, they put Newcastle to the sword. But as you said, you know, a bigger test will come this weekend because they've got an in Everton, a side that are kind of on the up. And as we've said now, with that fifth place possibly opening up, they're a side under Angel- Angelotti that will be hoping to make some waves. And I can see them causing Arsenal some real problems this weekend. But, you know, it was an encouraging performance. But we've been here before with Arsenal Um, And as Roy Keane obviously said last night, you know, they were acting like they'd won the league or, you know, had 10 points of, you know, heading the title race the way they were celebrating some of them goals. So that's just that's just wait and see how the land lies. If they can get a result against Everton, then you can start possibly thinking, you know, you know, they could be about to go on a run. And maybe Arteta's had that time to embed and making some changes, you know, slowly but surely. Um, But I, I think Everton could cause them an upset this weekend.
1: And Drew, as Carl just alluded to, Newcastle, I felt, were certainly a nuisance in the first half, but if anything, it highlighted their need for a functioning forward. They did have a forward on the pitch. His name's Joe Linton. However, he's not scored in over 2,000 Premier League minutes now. That is an absolutely dreadful return on investment for the money they spent in the summer.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, we've talked about this before. What does Joe Linton do for Newcastle? And the answer is not very much. Now... I do want to give him a little bit of an out in that he doesn't get the service he needs. I think I was reading a stat. It's like 60 or 70% of his touches are outside of the box, which for him is not a good way to play. He needs to be in the box as that number nine focal point, but having to drop back as far as he does because Newcastle defends so deeply, I think that kills his game. And while I did think in the summer – It was not exactly the greatest of picks to replace Solomon Rondon. I did think, you know what? It's better than nobody. But right now, he's playing as if he's not there. And part of it, I think, he's just not playing well. He's not taking up good positions. But also part of it is he doesn't really fit the style of play that Newcastle has. He's not a counterattacking striker. And so I think that's been a big issue for him as well. That's why I think Newcastle fans this year are probably more excited about watching, you know, Alan saint Maximin because he's a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more exciting, uh, faster, easier to hit on the counter. Where Joe Ellington doesn't really do that, and so I think he's taking he's taking it on the chin, somewhat fairly and also somewhat unfairly. I think in the criticism that he gets.
1: Yeah, I looked at Joe Ellington's touch match against Arsenal and like you say the amount of touches that are in the sort of central third of the pitch for a striker you're thinking oh like get further up but I think it's like you say it's just the way that Newcastle play it doesn't allow him to flourish by any means of the imagination so Burnley cole they've picked up 10 points now for the last 12 continuing to make us look very silly indeed we spoke about European places they'll probably just miss out but I think now it's another season of Premier League football on the horizon come 2021
2: Yeah, what do we know, eh, Dan? You know, Sean Dice and Burnley (laughs) finished, you know, in real trouble this year, and and off they go. Of course, right? Of course. Um, Always the way. You know, I I do believe there's that story, isn't there, that someone in the Southampton program was utterly crucifying Burnley and, you know, telling just a long ball team, long ball merchants, and Sean Dice has apparently taken the program in and said, well, you better have a read of this, because this is what they're all saying about you lot. Um, And they go and turn them over. And, yeah, that that win, I think, secures another season of Premier League football for them. Um, I don't see them having enough to kind of be in that mix for the European places, but I don't think they'll want to be. I think if if you spoke to them, they'd probably say that that Europa League run and campaign the season before really destroyed them and hurt them as a club. So they'd probably just be glad of another season in the Premier League. They'll then be able to build again in the summer and try and go from there. But, yeah, well done. You yeah, know, completely made us look stupid. Um, and, and well done, Sean Dyche and his Burnley men.
1: And, Drew, what about Southampton? Because they've lost three of their last four. There are certainly worse teams below them, but they're not out of the woods in terms of that relegation battle either, are they?
0: No, not yet. And and they've been on their streaks as well, right? Because after they lost to Leicester, then they won on a great winning streak. And then now it's kind of turning around. And And they're a really hard team to gauge. I don't think it's surprising that, southampton are back in the relegation fight but as we've said all season it comes down to danny ings and is he going to be able to carry this team right in in this match um against burnley he was the one who got their goal of course he did because southampton relies on him for any sort of production so if he can finish out the season strong then i think he gives southampton a chance But if if Danny Ings goes on a a dry spell, then the Saints are in big trouble of falling deeper into that relegation fight.
1: Cole, Norwich versus Liverpool. What else can you say about the Reds as they go on to 43 unbeaten?
2: Yeah, nothing more we can really say, (laughs) wasn't it? It it was inevitable that the goal was going to come at some point. They just find a way of winning. Um, And again, you know, great finish. Um, And you kind of just knew it was coming at a certain point during that game. Uh, I don't think we can say anything more, can we? You know, you can just watch and admire uh, and take it all in.
1: And, Drew, Norwich go into that game, or they went into that game, believing it was a free hit. One they didn't activate. And as you said earlier, they look kind of doomed now, don't they?
0: Yeah, after this, Norwich... You know, surprisingly, they have played Liverpool, of all teams, this year pretty well in, in, in both fixtures. But, no, Daniel Farka's side is going down. Norwich... You know, it, it was a great story at the beginning of the year to see them start off so brightly, but they have found their place in what is unfortunately kind of the right position for them at the bottom of the table. They're not a very talented team, right? They came up, and I applaud them for trying to do it in their style and not really adjusting, not playing, uh, bringing in, and paying huge wages to a bunch of players to overhaul the team. Unfortunately, though, it's kind of been their demise and. Norwich hasn't been scoring at all, especially as of late. I think they only have two goals in their last five league matches is what it's at, and this is going to be a big problem, right? Timo Pukki has uh, cooled off a lot. Todd Cantwell has been pretty good for them, but it's only relative to Norwich, right? If you look at other midfielders, it hasn't been a great season in the league. So Norwich right now, I mean, they're heading down, and I think there's really no way to stop it.
1: Yeah, I can't agree more with that one. So Wolves-Leicester finishes off the game week 0-0. Not a lot to write home about or talk about. An offside for a backwards pass. Are they the rules? I don't know. I give up. I really don't know anymore. That is the end of this show. So I'm not giving up forever, but I'm giving up for this week. That means I need to <laughs> I need to thank my co-host. they have done sterling work this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one, Drew.
0: Yes, of course. That was great. Love talking Chelsea Spurs as the match is coming this weekend. That's going to be a cracker. Can't wait to watch it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. Uh, But today, great show. Happy to be here as always with you guys.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that next week. And you're right, it was a fantastic show. And Cole, thank you very much for your time. I hope you enjoyed it also.
0: Cheers, Dan. Really good to
2: chat all things football with you guys. And like Drew said, looking forward to next week because that could be pretty lively.
1: Absolutely. Right. With that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye.